You're listening to Middle East Analysis, a podcast series taking a close look at the Middle East North Africa region. Well, that wonderful intro music can only mean one thing. It's the return of Middle East analysis after a year on the shelf. Well, I say return. Actually, we're back for a Middle East analysis podcast special. Four parts looking at some tough Christian realities in the Middle East North Africa region. Now, who better to give us a fresh take on things than Dr. Harry Hagopian, international lawyer, analyst and commentator on the region. What a joy to have you back with us, Harry. James, it is a pleasure. I'd almost forgotten what it means to sit and have a chat with you over those Middle East, North Africa, Gulf matters. And uh, for a moment, I was a little bit feeling uncomfortable saying I have to reposition myself to remember what we have done for well over 100 episodes. So this is a special day and these are special short episodes and we are talking about a region that is rife with problems and therefore I look forward to your questions because as our listeners know we pretty much do this on the hoof not because we cannot plan it but more so because it retains the freshness of it. Absolutely and over four parts 15 minute episodes we're going to look at some fairly provocative things, some realities in the region, and lift the lid on them and have you tell us more about them. The first one that we're going to do now is called Christians and a Third Intifada, which might instantly seem provocative, seeing as there have been two. So I'm, I'm sort of proposing that it's very tense in that particular region, obviously with the tension on the Israel-Gaza border. The US President, Donald Trump, ready to move his embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, as most people know. And I think it's, it's lending itself to that question, will there be a third Palestinian intifada? And then the sub-question, what does this mean for Christians? In uh, Palestine itself? Arab Christians, yeah. Yep. Well, it's interesting what you ask, James, because uh, as some of our listeners know, the first intifada was, in my opinion, the successful intifada. It was the one that basically created a landmark Uh, whereby the Palestinians, be they in their majority Muslim or Christian, came together, wove so many structures together, cooperation, in resisting the occupation. But they did it in such a way that it was peaceful. It was not violent. There was no use of arms. There was no unnecessary loss of life, but it was all done with the clear intent of pinpointing to the fact that there is an occupation that must end. And would you believe it, that was in the late 80s. And that first intifada was a very interesting one because in a sense, it managed to help Palestinians work together closely and made the Muslims and the Christians think not of their religious backgrounds, but of their ethnicity and the commonality of their political conflict. And that was the first intifada. So that was a success because it really put the question of Palestine on the map. The second intifada was one that became more violent, was less cooperative, 
people started intruding into it with their own agendas, not the agenda of the Palestinian conflict itself, but their own personal agendas, whether it's this group or that group. And the minute it turned violent, it lost its moral pedestal. And that is where people started, whether it's Israel on the one hand or Western countries or even other countries, started criticizing Palestinians by saying, look, you're throwing rocks, you're uh, killing people, you are doing so much damage, this is not doing your cause any good. And there is a lot of agreement that this was the reality of the Second Intifada, which came in the wake of the then Ariel Sharon before he died, of going into the esplanade of the mosque in Jerusalem and walking there. So it was the most provocative thing that he could have done, the holiest of holy Muslim sanctuaries. But the Palestinians fell into a trap by then reacting violently. Had they reacted differently, it might have been a different story altogether. So that's the difference between, for me, between the first intifada and the second intifada. Now, since then, having tried twice, the first time peacefully and the second time not so peacefully, to resist occupation and, and uh, the loss of land, whether it was, for instance, with the first intifada, the Palestinians boycotted the purchase of any Israeli products, I mean, that to me is the forerunner of the BDS or the boycott divestment sanctions movement that is going across Europe and the United States today. That happened during the first intifada. The second one was, no, let's hurl rocks. So those two intifadas came together. But the Palestinians were so exhausted by this because there was no support for their intifada for their insurrection and intifada is from the word in arabic yantafid which means to shake off so basically the idea was to shake off the occupation and what happened is that the sense of exhaustion led to the palestinians losing hope in getting any support either from the arab world who are very good with talking the talk but not necessarily walking the walk or the west particularly the European Union, who has been the banker for the Palestinians, always ready to help with projects, but never using any political clout to end the occupation. All this has led to a state of exhaustion. Now, all this long-winded introduction of the first and second intifadas brings me to your question, the third intifada. And in my opinion, I don't think there is going to be a third intifada in the foreseeable future for the very simple reason or reasons that, one, the Palestinians are still economically and psychologically very tired. They are a people who are robustly trying to fight against the occupation, but you can see that the sense of struggle has gone out of them. Why? Because this is an occupation that has lasted for since 67, over 50 years. And it takes its toll and people are tired and people are no longer able to fight the structures, to fight the state ability to basically cut them down to size. And so no matter how hard they try, there is always a problem psychologically and physically to come up with a third intifada. 
Another reason why I don't think it will happen is because between the second and third intifadas that you're uh, raising, there is the question of the deep divisions amongst the Palestinian factions themselves. I mean, at the moment, we have two Palestines, both virtual, neither real. One is based in Ramallah, which is basically the Palestinian Authority, led by, uh, at the moment, Mahmoud Abbas, who is an old man, who is a sick man, who is getting tired, whose legacy, unfortunately, as a man who came with the highest of hopes to sign a peace treaty with Israel, at the moment is leaving without showing any tangible outcome for his presidency, which has been extended and extended because there have been no elections for a while. And then you have Hamas and other groups in Gaza, which are totally spurned by the international community and who do not help themselves sometimes, either with their statements or with their tunnels and their attacks. I mean, people at the moment are much more into short term tactics rather than long-term strategies and that is not helping so in my opinion i don't think there will be a third intifada for now i think the continuation of the occupation as it wears down the palestinians will be what we would have to deal with i think the issue of the embassy might or might not happen in may during the time of the celebrations that Israelis have for the creation of the state in 1948, so 70 years. Whether that happens or not, then I don't know. But there is this psychological dampener that there is an embassy from Tel Aviv, the U.S. embassy coming to Jerusalem. The Arab League in its latest 29th summit did show support for the Palestinians, did name the summit as the Jerusalem summit. But as I said in one of my famous tweets that always makes you laugh, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Will the Arab countries stand up and say, okay, we need to help the Palestinians or not? That is the question at the moment. And amidst this large demographic and political reality, the Christians are also feeling tired are also by and large feeling weakened, but they're no less resistant to the occupation than the Muslims, and their sense of Palestinian nationalism has not been removed. You are talking about people who are constantly fighting against the occupation, who are supportive of the BDS movement, who want the two-state solution, which is gradually vanishing. However, those Christian communities small as they are, and somewhat shrinking even over the span of five decades, are also there having problems coping with the reality of what it means to live in a state where you have three or four different levels of humanity. I don't want to use the word apartheid, but I want to make reference to it. A question I'm going to ask you is about the very nature, in a sense, of Christianity in the region. Because if you look at the simple teachings of Christianity, love thy neighbour, they're, they're on the whole pacifistic in nature, peace-loving in nature. Are they the ones that are sort of vulnerable bystanders in this? Are they the ones that neither fit in one camp nor the other, but you know, obviously looking for fairness and equality and rights and, and as you say, a, a second state? How exactly do they fit? 
Fairness, equality and rights and self-determination are things that all Palestinians, Christian and Muslim in their majority are looking for. Of course, there are people who want more, who want less, but those are on the fringes. The majority of them want that and the Christians... And by the Christians, I mean ordinary grassroots Christians in Jerusalem, in Bethlehem, in Bejala, in Nablus, in Gaza, wherever you go and you talk to them, they say, we are Palestinian, we want our state, but we want it to be, to come about in a peaceful way. The problem is, and it's a very simple problem, it's even a very simple dilemma. How long is a piece of thread? How long can you wait? until the world community decides to grant you that right of self-determination. And if it doesn't, do you basically witness as your state, in theory, shrinks more and more and more, so that when you compare what Palestine was in '48 with what Palestine is in 2018, you can see that it's hardly a few dots on the map. How much longer are they going to wait, be they Christian or Muslim? And one example of that, for instance, is the closure of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre as a sign of protest by the Greek Orthodox, Armenian Orthodox, and Roman Catholic churches, who are the custodians of the Holy Sepulchre, to protest against fiscal and political measures taken by Israel. And guess what? That stand by the uh, Christian communities forced Israel to shelve a bill it was passing through parliament and to stop this whole business of taxation. So there are ways of resisting occupation, but after 50 years, it becomes tiresome. Final question. Christmas and Easter, in these lands, we look to Palestine, we look to Bethlehem. Whether it's looking to the crib or the cross, we cast our eye in the direction of Jerusalem or Bethlehem on the whole, whether we think too deeply about it or not. A question that's often asked is, when will the exodus stop? Will there some point soon be no Christians in the Holy Land region? Do you agree with that? No, I don't agree with that. I've never agreed with that, and I don't agree with that either. A former Archbishop of Canterbury once said that uh, the Holy Land is going to become a Disneyland for uh, Christian communities because all the indigenous local Arab and other Christians will have left, and all you would have there are the stones plus the tourists that come and run about for a few days and then go home. I disagree with that for a very simple reason. I'll give you what I think is a logical answer, not an emotional or spiritual answer. Those who want to leave and could leave have already left. Those who are there are those who cannot afford to leave or who do not want to leave. And it is very interesting how there are so many Christians I speak with who say this is our land, the land of Christ, the biblical lands, and we are not going to leave these lands because this is our home. These people are going to be there. And if we start making the mistake of looking at Christianity or at the strength of our faith on numerical terms, that's a very dangerous ground we're treading because it's not the quantity, it's the quality that counts. And much as Christians fight with each other, argue with each other, have spats here, there and everywhere. There is a certain coming together that this is the land of the crucifixion and the resurrection and here it is that we belong. 
Dr. Harry Hagopian, international lawyer, commentator, analyst on the Middle East North African region. Thank you very much indeed. Pleasure. <laughs>